Welcome to Coffee and Change, a podcast where we talk about change in our lives, our work, and our world, and how we're managing it. On episode 48, I interview Errol Dobler. With over 20 combined years as a Navy SEAL and an FBI special agent, Errol believes that if leadership is not done correctly, one of three consequences will be realized, all of which are unacceptable. Mission failure, injury, or death. Errol also believes that the leadership exhibited during times of chaos and struggle should not be vastly different than the leadership exhibited during times of relative calm and accord. As Errol points out, In our discussion and in his book, there is no break glass in case of emergency leadership playbook. The same leadership that is applied during chaos on the battlefield is the same leadership that should be applied in business and at home. From his experience and wisdom, Errol developed a leadership process that can be applied to all aspects of our lives in times of both chaos and harmony. Errol is also a trained Wim Hof method leader, blending the power of breathing, cold exposure, and mindset to achieve focus and sustained health. As you will hear in the discussion, Errol soaks in an ice bath at least once every day. So of course, I had to title the episode, Iced Coffee with Errol. Enjoy the listen. You know, happy to be here to talk uh, coffee and change, for, <laughs> <laughs> for one thing. Uh, you know, I'm Pretty basic stuff. I'm 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 a native New Yorker, I'm from Long Island, New York. Um, I I have a background. I was in the Navy, where I was both a ship driver, surface warfare officer, and a Navy SEAL. Was medically discharged uh, after injury, getting injured on deployment. Spent a few years in the private sector, licking my wounds, and uh, found myself in New York City on 9/11 which changed the trajectory of my life as it did many people's lives. And uh, I got myself medically cleared, joined the FBI, spent 13 years primarily investigating uh, terrorist organizations around the world, um, specifically out of the uh, former Soviet republics. I got a little dismayed with the FBI leadership and decided that uh, I could sit around and complain, which of course I wouldn't do. I could sit around and absorb what I disagreed with, which I wasn't going to do, or I could put my money where my mouth is and go out on my own. And that's what I did. So in 2016, I started my leadership consulting firm, Leader 193, just recently put out the book, Process, Art, and Science of Leadership. Uh, My wife, who I met in the FBI, uh, she left the FBI maybe a year or so ago, two years ago, and now me and her work on the company together. And we've got three kids under seven. So it's absolute mayhem at all times. So, you know, that's what we do. And that's, that's me in a nutshell. And I love coffee and I love to talk over coffee. Thank you, Errol. Um, First of all, let me say thank you for your service times, times two, at least um, both military and civilian. Um, That's, that's really impressive. And I think, um, like you said, a lot of people's lives changed, uh, on 9-11 or after 9-11. I can definitely relate. I actually joined the military right after 9-11. I was in a private uh, sector job, you know, a year or two out of college and 
um, thought I was on my path and, um, I too changed my path and ended up, uh, joining the army, um, where I served for about 10 to 12 years. Um, so thank you for your service. Um, I would right back at you. Thank you. (laughs) Would love to know, um, leader one, nine, three, uh, what's the significance of that, of that name? Yeah, I wish it was super deep. It's not, it's, um, one, nine, three is my buds hell week class. And yes. And it just, you know, a lot of, I don't, so that's it. Leader one, nine, three, right. I just wanted to pay homage to, to that portion of my life. And, you know, I've done a lot of things, right. I don't lead with, I don't lead with anything. Uh, but the SEAL teams is a very important part of who I was uh, for a mm-hmm. lot of reasons because it's really where I where I take most of my leadership principles from. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I applied them in all other different places. So that was just one area where I, I see it was – look, everybody's BUDS class was the hardest BUDS class, right? Everybody's training class was the hardest training class no matter what you're doing, right? If you, I sold copiers. My copier training class, that was the hardest one, you know. Uh, but we did have a unique class. We started, and don't quote me on the numbers. I always tell when I tell this story, because God forbid I get the person who looks it up and says, that's not accurate numbers. So, you know, it was a long time ago. But we we started our class with about 200 people. Mm-hmm. And at the end of Hell Week, which is early in that six-month training, I think it's week four or five, you know, we were down to 10. And wow. so, yeah, so it was it was just a really special, unique time and group of people. And I just always wanted to kind of keep it, you know, keep it with me. That's, that's why I named it leader one, nine, three. Okay. And you've also written uh, a book called the process art and science of leadership. And I would love to talk a little bit about that book because as you said, uh, you know, where you pull a lot of the leadership lessons from, um, is in your own journey. Um, obviously being a seal, um, you know, being, working in the FBI, also working private sector. And as I read through portions of your book, um, there was a, there was a lot that jumped out to me that I would, I would love to chat about, but before we, before we jump into some of those questions and, and, and areas that really stood out to me, I would love to have you just kind of talk about how the book came together. Um, I think you, I think you kind of do this in the intro, but it's, mm-hmm. it's really, um, it's really kind of a, a creation of your own, of your own journey, right? It, it absolutely is. It's not, it's not a process, you know, this book is not, there's nothing theoretical about it. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's, there's nothing that I say, and I think this part will work. So I'll throw it in, right. It's, it's all based on truly the blood, sweat and tears of everything I've gone through. And, you know, my resume gets me in the door of a lot of places like of this podcast, right. You look at who's Errol Dobler. Oh, that's pretty cool. Let's, let's see what he has to say. And I'm, I'm super proud of some of the things that I've done. But, you know, I just simply, in my mind, the mistakes I made along the way are the things that really allowed me to get to each next level. Now, I I was a lot of self-sabotage, right? I would do a good thing, then I would do a bad thing. And you can appreciate that um, when we talk about where addiction, whether we struggle from addiction or we had addiction in our family, that, that is a common theme. And the point I'm making is, you know, I went to the Naval Academy. Hey, that's super, super cool, super impressive, right? It's an, a fantastic academic institution. But that's not the story. The story is I got into the Naval Academy and I went to two academic boards. I went to several conduct review boards on the brink of getting thrown out multiple times. Why? Why did that have to happen? Right. When I went into the Navy, 
same thing. You know, when I was in the surface Navy first, um, I almost got kicked out of the Navy during surface warfare officer training school because just doing one good thing, then one bad thing, you know, and I, I had a proclivity towards carousing and drinking and fighting. And, you know, it was almost enough to get me kicked out until I wasn't. And then on and on it went, right? So to the next great thing, but then inside of that turmoil. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to focus on the turmoil, not because I want to focus on the negative, but because I think, I think it's just an area that people can relate to. I think people can relate to why do I sabotage myself? Why do I not allow myself to achieve great things? Why do I feel unworthy of those things? And that's the genesis of the book. And um, when I left the SEAL teams, that was really the beginning of true self-reflection because I loved being a Navy SEAL. I loved it. And I wanted to spend my entire career there. It just wasn't meant to be. And I left with my tail between my legs, right? Anytime you, anytime you leave something not on your terms, it's with your tail between your legs. And I had a lot of other things going on at the time. I was in a terrible marriage. Mm-hmm. And, and that, th- that contributed to a lot of the factors why I took that medical discharge out of the SEAL teams. But anyway, my point is um, I just think the vulnerability around my life can help people. And, and that's, that's why I wrote it. I, I, you know, from a standpoint of I'm in leadership consulting, you, you, you should have a book out, right. To tell everybody what you think about leadership. You know, I think it's kind of a requirement, but I certainly didn't rush into it. You know, I, I, I wanted to make sure my process worked. It made sense for people. And when I realized it did, then I said, okay, now it's time to put it, put it in print. Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting. One of the, um, one of the questions that kind of popped in my mind when I was reading the, you know, the intro of your book and you hit on this a little bit, um, just in your last comment around the balance between self-sabotage and, and Mm self-reflection. Um, what does it mean to be stuck in, in leadership behavior? I think you talk about this a little bit in, in the book and it really jumped out to me because I I could totally relate when, when you're talking about that self-sabotage and self-reflection, um, especially for, for, for folks in the military, it's a very fine line. Um, and you can tip one way or the other. But I think one of the things that I noticed for, for me was the sense of being stuck in a leadership behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, so what does that mean to you? And when you talk about that? Yeah. So, you know, the process, art and science of leadership. So this is where the science kind of comes in. So if you, if you'll indulge me for a minute on the science and that will lend Please, itself yeah. to the answer. Yeah. So, you know, we have between 60 and 70,000 thoughts per day, 80 to 90% of them are the same as the day before as the research goes, right? Maybe the research is wrong, but that's, that's what my, you know, that's the research that I read says. Um, and for the majority of people, 70% of those thoughts and emotions are based around the emotions of stress, yeah. frustration, anger, unworthiness, right? Fear. So if you look at it, when we get into, so we are, we are acting based on an emotion, okay? Yesterday, the day before, the day before that. And then that the logical conclusion of that is we're going to act the same way tomorrow, next week, next year. We can already predict how we're going to re- react to situations pretty much. Um, so, and then to change that is really difficult. It's mm-hmm. doable, 
right? We know through something called neuroplasticity that if we, ironically enough, follow the process of my leadership process, that begins the process to rewire the brain. And it's really hard to do, but it's doable. That's why leadership is such a premium. Because Mm -hmm. if you do that, good for you. You have really made personal change in your life. So to answer your question, why do people get stuck in a leadership spot? That's first and foremost, because they have a behavior inherent in them that they can't change or they don't know how to change or they're not even aware of it, which is Mm -hmm. mostly what happens. We become so ingrained in what we do, we're not even aware of it anymore. Then if they become aware of it, wow, I am a micromanager. Wow, I am afraid to say that I'm wrong. Wow, I'm afraid to act because of failure. Whatever it is, they're now letting that inherent emotion, probably fear, drive them to not change because they are so neurochemically addicted to the fear that they need to act on it, Okay, even though they know that doing something different is better for them, just like any addict knows, I need to stop drinking, stop doing drugs because that's better for me, yet I can't. Same with addiction to our emotions. Okay, And then because they don't know how the science works behind it, that it's really hard that you don't suck. You, you're, you're not a coward. You're, you, know, you, you, you do care. But when people fail at something, that's what they automatically go to. Mm-hmm. And then they say, well, I just have to stay this way. This is how I'm wired. That's why and how people get stuck in leadership behaviors. It, mm-hmm. It's as simple as that, even though maybe I complicated the answer a little more than no, no, I wanted I, to break it down. I think I made it more yeah, complicated. I, I think it's... <laughs> I think it's it's a really important discussion that a lot of people um, don't necessarily that some people talk around the edges of it, because when you're talking about emotions, it becomes personal. And when, when it gets personal, people get they, they, they feel vulnerable for one and they don't want to they don't want to show that. I think what's really interesting, you talk about this, you know, in the book, you say every time you have a thought, and this is what you're talking about, your brain literally sends a chemical through the body to match how you feel with how you think. This creates a cycle between the mind and the body, better known as the mind-body connection. I've had a lot of discussions with with folks around, you know, mindfulness and the mind-body connection and understanding um, the neuroplasticity, as you talked about. Um, and I think what's really hard is this is this at times feels like the, you know, the myth of the the person rolling the rock up the mountain and it just keeps rolling back down, right? It feels like that at times. Why do you think that is? I mean, the cycle continues with the same thoughts over and over and over again. Is that, is that because that's how society has, has presented to us? Is it because we, is it because we sometimes perform best in the fight or flight emotions of stress? I mean, you've been under a tremendous amount of stress in in your Navy career and your FBI career. Uh, your work with people that probably are in a lot of these, um, stressful moments these days. Why do you think that is it is a combination of how we're wired in society? Well, you know, look, I, it would be, I think it's, it would be too convenient for us to blame it on society. Um, society, society, society has allowed us recently to, to find our fix for that emotion that we go back and forth with. But the fact of the matter is this, it's, it's, it's human behavior. It is simply the way we operate as human beings. If we allow an emotion to dominate us. So let's just, let's take unworthiness. Let's take fear. Let's take anger. Anger is an easy one, right? Anger. Mm -hmm. You did something 
two months ago to make me angry. And it made me so angry, right? And now that's all I can do is think about. And now something happened. That's my emotion. And that those chemicals, right? That chemical, uh, that mind-body thing, right? It's no longer hippie propaganda. It's science. We are now becoming neurochemically addicted to that emotion of anger. And like any addiction, we're going to need more of it. Okay, and we're going to need to find it in other places because two months ago, you did something to make me really mad. Today, I can't even remember what you did. But what I know is I need to find something in my environment to satisfy my addiction towards anger. And I'll find it anywhere. Okay, so society, I think it's a convenient excuse to blame. But society is certainly giving us every opportunity to find our addiction to anger. Oh, look at those people, how they're acting. Look what this person said. Look what that person said. Society didn't create that that emotion. We did that, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, so we weren't aware of it, and therefore we allowed ourselves to become addicted to it. Right. I, I think it's as simple as that. That That's yeah. why. It's, it's just the way we operate, and if we don't have that awareness, we're going to be in trouble. Yeah, and I think awareness, capital A, awareness, uh, is an important word that um, – I think it, I don't want to say it gets thrown around a lot, but I think people are using it more. And, you know, as you as you highlight uh, in your writing, you know, experiences create emotions and uh, we don't necessarily distinguish or have the ability to distinguish between the actual experience that creates the emotion and the emotion that just gets created. And or, and the, thought, alone. or the thought of that experience, the, the, right. the brain thinks the same thing. Right. I almost get hit by a car. I react. I think about almost getting hit by a car. The brain's going to react the same way, right? The uh, you know there's a there's a great book that uh, I was reading recently and have kind of you know flipped in between the chapters called "The Body Keeps the Score" around um, trauma and how as you're talking about the emotions, where emotions settle in the body and if they're not released. And I think you talk about specifically in in your book and, and, um, you know, the concept of some of the military training, right. Jumping out of a plane or something. Right. right. I mean, the, the experience of jumping out of a plane creates an emotion, but leading up to jumping out of a plane or doing an exercise or something, um, it, it can be just as powerful, the emotion. And as you describe the importance of, motion and you talk about this in the book as well emotion and, and i've i like to remind people as well 90 95 of the word emotion is motion right. and we cannot forget that as you allude to it means moving away you know emotion moving away from something and if we don't actually have movement if we don't have embodiment those emotions stay trapped so i would love for you to talk some around the physical motion. I mean, there's a lot of work that you've done. I would love to, you know, jump into some of the uh, Wim Hof method, the ice, uh, the, the cold therapy. Uh, these are things that uh, I've recently started learning about, but they all hit to what you're talking about here, which is that concept of motion and movement to free those emotions. Can you elaborate yeah, on that a little bit? Yeah, I, I would love to, uh, because it's, you know, my, my approach to leadership is a little different. And it's, it's because we start with emotions and then that next part is cultural awareness and recognition because emotions drive action. And mm -hmm. if we are not wholly aware of the very thing that drives action, which is our emotion, and then if we're not aware of what those actions are, we can't make any change. We can't make any meaningful change. So 
hammering away there. So this idea of emotional awareness and recognition, everything we, we have the most complicated yet perfect system is the human body, right? The mind, body, spirit, everything, everything that happens inside of our body happens for a reason. With maybe ex the exception of the appendix, right? You can just right. Take that that's out. the one thing we can't figure out. <laughs> no, but I, I promise you, it has it, a purpose. It, we right, just don't know. In a hundred years, they're going to be like, "Can you believe back in the two thousands they used to take appendixes out?" Right? Right. I, it's going to happen. Okay. That being said, um, emotions are the same thing. We create emotions. Now, it's typically from some outside influence, but that's fine. We still create it. Studies will tell us that unacknowledged emotions will be acknowledged in some way, shape, or form. The body is a closed system. You do not get to just ignore it. It's not that way. So the whole, I'll just bury it and ignore it. I'm like, that's fine, man. But now we're not sure how it's going to manifest itself. And now as a leader, you are leaving those results to the flip of a coin. And that's not leadership. So what do we mean by this? You brought up the, the airplane, jumping out of the airplane story. The long and short of it is this. Leading up to the training for the, our first free fall jump, when I went to that school, I was scared to death. I was doing all the training properly. The idea of jumping out of an airplane was petrifying to me. And I overcompensated with arrogance, with bravado. I, I did not, I said, I can't acknowledge this fear. Now, when we talk about results to the flip of a coin and that emotion, that unacknowledged emotion will manifest itself somehow. How? Well, who knows? That's the problem. So for me, when I finally jumped out of the airplane, that fear, that unacknowledged fear manifested itself in inaction. Not exactly a great draw when you're jumping out of an airplane. And that's the freeze. That's right. Right. Not so bad if you are afraid of snakes, maybe, and you see a snake and you freeze, right? Because that's probably the right way to be. So you got lucky. But when you're jumping out of an airplane, inaction will get you killed, obviously. Now, that story ends. Obviously, I ended up acting, but only after I blew through all my safety protocols and went below the safe distance to pull. And my instructor was literally going to pull my parachute for me. I snapped out of it and pulled it. And the whole thing, this, the moral behind the story is when we got to the ground, the instructor said to me, one more like that, you're out. Okay. And I was, a, I was a Navy SEAL. You, you have to be able to jump out of an airplane to do your job. So I had to figure it out quickly. So the first place I went to was the emotion. And I got lucky on this. Right. I don't know why it sent, I, I don't know why I went there, but I went there. I said, I probably need to first acknowledge that this is scaring the crap out of me. Right. The second I did that, now it's in my conscious mind. It's not in my unconscious mind where it's wreaking havoc. And now I at least get to think about it and make a plan and say, okay, I'm still really afraid, but does that technically preclude me from actually doing my work? I have to have, I have to identify a behavior that I need, courage, no problem there, got to do it, okay? And then the next time out, I was fine. I never, the fear never left me for jumping, okay? Never. But I was able to do it because I acknowledged the emotion. How else? People have back pain and uh, neck pain and shoulder pain. And you say, well, how'd you hurt your back? Well, the darndest thing, I was bending over to pick up a piece of paper and I threw my back out. 
it's like, no, that's structurally impossible. That's not why you have back problems. You have back problems because there's some unacknowledged emotion going on in your life and it's manifesting itself there. There's a whole, Dr. John Sarano, there's, this is not Errol Dobler's theory. He wrote multiple books on that research. So once again, a long-winded answer to tell me a little bit about these unacknowledged emotions. That's why I focus on it so much because you are just acting randomly if you are not first emotionally aware of, of you're just not and emotionally aware. I, and I like what you said, you know, there's this aspect of you don't necessarily have to rid the fear, right? Like, I think it's really interesting that, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's the way we grew up, right? As we go from little boys to men and we start to think like, okay, we must conquer all fear. We must rid of fear. I am not effective. I am not a leader if I carry around fears with me. But I, the, the way you just described it is interesting. You you essentially assimilated it. You said, okay, like, I'm not going to let it lead me, but I'm not denying that it exists. And uh, it's also okay that I'm afraid. That has nothing to do with how I ultimately act. And that's the point, right? People, It's like you said, oh, I'm a leader. I can't be afraid. I can't be, I can't show people my fear. Yeah, you how do you show people your fear by acting on it randomly? <laughs> okay. That's how you show people your fear. Mm-hmm. Show letting people know, yeah, I'm a little afraid about this, but here's what we're going to do. All of a sudden everybody goes, well, I'm afraid too, but it sounds like right. we have a plan going here. So, okay, that's cool. We can get through this. So it's okay to be afraid. We don't necessarily have to act afraid. Well, that makes sense. We can do that. So, the, the, to to tell people that it's okay to feel what you feel, and it's just, can I give you another example? Right? How do we? Please do. Right? Yeah. The, the second part of my book, the the title of the book is "How Leaders Inspire Confidence and Clarity in Combat in the Boardroom and at the Kitchen Table." Mm-hmm. I truly want this to be a book for every aspect of our lives. So, what? Right before we got on the call with you, you know, we're doing the homeschool thing now. We pulled the kids out, and we said we're just going to do this ourselves until this craziness ends. And it's hard, right? It, it, it adds a layer of stress and you learn more about your kids than you knew before, which is a beautiful thing. So our daughter, six-year-old, and my wife is down there. We've got another family and she's just been struggling lately with some frustrations, but we work this emotion thing. So she's very quick to say, I'm feeling angry. Okay, good. Good start. This morning, yeah, yeah, just acknowledge it, right? Yeah. This morning, I'm feeling angry. And then she wiped the table of all the stuff and then started acting out and ignoring my wife. So my wife sent her to the room literally five minutes before I got on this call. I went in, you know, she said, can you talk to her real quick? And I said it to her. I said, look, I said, we've talked about this. You are allowed to feel angry. Okay. But we've also talked about you are not allowed to just act angrily when it's not appropriate. And school is not appropriate. So you need to start acting like we said you were going to act in spite of how you're feeling, with respect, with courtesy, right? all of those things. And I said, and after that, after school is done today, me and you will go for a walk and we'll talk about why. But those are t- – so I'm actually having this conversation with my six-year-old. It took a little while to get it going, but she gets it now. Yeah. I said, now explain back to me what you said. She goes, no, I understand that I'm angry, but I still that still means I have I still have to be respectful. I still have to be kind, and we'll talk about it later. Well, she's six. She gets it. I'm not the parent of the century. I just know that this is the way it goes. 
right? And if a six-year-old can get it, I think we can. Yeah. Maybe or maybe well, we I, can't. <laughs> well, I, I think I think children have a lot to teach us personally. Um, and I, I'm seeing a lot in this in this pandemic. And I love the example that you gave because, yeah, around the kitchen table, right? This is not just around board rooms. This is not just in you know uh, military environments. This is, uh, you know, in some ways, I think the world, um, there's a lot more families and dynamic conversations happening around kitchen tables than, than have in a really long time. And I think what's, what's powerful about your example is, is, and you allude to this, you know, in the book, you talk about when you learn something new, the neurons in your brain make a new synaptic connection. Mm -hmm. And just in that example with your daughter, right, you helped her make a new synaptic connection because... Because prior to that, what was happening, if we get into the brain science of it, is there was a pathway that fired. That's a pathway that's essentially greased the skids, right? We, there's a lot of myelin, I think is what they call it. It essentially acts like grease where the pathways that fire are the, the ones that are, are, are super fatty, <laughs> essentially. And they're, and they're the ones that we take all the time, right? They're shortcuts in the brain, essentially. Mm -hmm. You stop those and you say, there's another path. Let's hang on a second. Let's, let's acknowledge this. Let's see what's happening. And all of a sudden, somebody's like, oh, wow, we can actually get to a different um, result, different outcome, different action. And that's why, as you said, like the human body, the human system is just fascinating because it's that simple and that complex at the same time. Um, it's a great example. And that's why I do think kids have a lot to teach us because to your point around neuroplasticity, in some ways, don't know if this is scientifically true, but but I would hypothesize that they actually have more neuroplasticity in, at that age because there's not these pre preset or greased skids uh, pathways that we, because of pressures, because of performance, because of, you know, expectations, we've set all those. We're, as adults, we're kind of up against those a little bit more. It's like if somebody were to sit down and say to you and me, here's a pencil, here's a draw, a blank piece of paper, draw something for me while I watch you. You and I, despite the fact that we're probably military guys, would probably seize up and be like, oh God, performance anxiety. I'm not an artist. I can't do this. Mm -hmm. You give that to a six-year-old child and a six-year-old child's like, this is great. I'm going to, I'm going to see what can, can come of it. So I do think kids have a lot to teach us. Well, look, you're, you're now again, I'm not a scientist, right? All the science that I, the science portion of my leadership process came later. I only realized <laughs> After I started doing some research, I'm like, holy cow, my the elements of my process follows follows the same process had the brain change. So I, I just got excited. So I put it in there, right? So it's good. So when I start to cite some of the studies, I might get them wrong again, just like I might have gotten the 200 people wrong. So I, I have to make these caveats. I hadn't been hit yet. So I might be getting it right. But to your point, I think the research tells us that at the age of seven is when we begin to kick in with our analytical mind. Before that, we are, the kids are subconscious. They are absorbing everything, okay? Mm -hmm. we are, they are a set of subconscious behaviors. So why is it so important to treat your children at the age that, let me stop again. What you say to your kids at that age is what they're going to become. And they're going to be a set, a series of subconscious, unconscious behaviors and by the time, I think that the studies say by the time we're 35 years old, we are 90% subconscious behaviors, things we don't even recognize. So yeah. what happened with my daughter was just that. She's almost seven, okay? Mm -hmm. 
She's now starting to be able to think. When we started this process with my kids about talking about emotions, you know, they looked at us, uh, you know, but <laughs> we had to trust that they were hearing. We had sure. to trust, right? Because they were not certainly not reacting to us. You know, my son especially, he'll look around and, you know, then I'm like, you have to look at me when, you, you know, the whole thing. But the point is, what happened literally 10 minutes ago play, plays it out. It's accurate. She's now getting to the point where that analytical brain is starting to mature. But the other stuff that we've talked to her about around emotions, that's where her, that's where she is now. That's a beautiful place to be. Yes, I understand my emotions and I understand that I just simply can't act on them. And I understand that I'm allowed to have them. Yeah. Like, Again, when a six-year-old can do that, but that's that is the science behind it. So now, not to say that if you have if you're listening to this, you have a 12-year-old, well, it's too late for that. So I'll just keep calling a lazy piece of garbage. No, again, neuroplasticity, we can change. Okay. Mm -hmm. And and once again, the the science behind what we're talking about, it's simple, but it's complicated, like you said. And that's what makes great leadership and people who change behave do behavioral changes, whether they are not a leader, whether they make a living making deli sandwiches, but they've just become better people. That's mm -hmm. why they're such an inspiration because it's really hard. You're overcoming an addiction to emotions and behavior that you may not even be aware of. Yeah. So tell me about the Wim Hof method, because this is where I think about it on the other side, right? You talk about the 35, when you're 35 mm -hmm. and beyond, you're kind of 90% already wired. And, and my, my uh, knowledge and learning about the Wim Hof method, cold therapy, breathing, um, I'll, I'll, I'll self-confess. Uh, I saw an episode on Netflix of, of Goop TV, which yes. is essentially Gwyneth Paltrow's yeah. uh, podcast turned into a, a series. And it featured Wim Hof and, and, and some of her staff went and, and did it. It really kind of opened my eyes to what you're talking about, which is the, the importance of uh, having an embodied experience to actually free yourself of some of these emotions and some of these uh, four, I don't want to call them foregone, but these, these pre-wired um, synapses, if you will. So can you elaborate on that for people that don't know what the Wim Hof method is yeah. and how you use it to help people? Uh, I'm assuming people in their twenties and thirties. I mean, I've seen some of the stuff on your website. I, I, you know, it's, it's a lot of women, men and women um, who are probably leaders um, but we'd love to hear a little bit more about that as people maybe heard a little bit, but don't have a clear picture on it. The, you know, we put the, we, we put the beautiful people up on the website, you know, because, you know, everybody looks to look at beautiful people, but we've, we've had, <laughs> it's true. I don't know. <laughs> you know, you, look, I'm as shallow as the next person when it comes to marketing. I, that's what they tell you. So that's what we do. But anyway, but I, I do want to make clear that we've had, um, you know, pe people in their eighties come to my workshops. Mm -hmm. So there's mm -hmm. all, all shapes and sizes, right? Um, and Goop, by the way, I still do just straight Wim Hof seminars. And there was an uptick in, you know, I was like selling them out immediately. And finally, I was like, wait, what is going on? And it was Goop. Everyone's like, oh, I saw Goop. Yeah. And I, I was like, oh, all right, cool. So anyway, and so I watched it. It was good. It was so like, kudos to Gwyneth. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Thanks, <laughs> right, Gwyneth. Like, as if you need Errol Dobler's endorsement, right? <laughs> Bill Kerr's endorsement. Yeah, you never know. You never know. Uh, so there's a lot to talk about with the Wim Hof method, and it does many, many things, right? Uh, when we talk about disease, like literal disease, autoimmune diseases, 
cancer, Parkinson's disease. The breathing method is such that scientifically backed resets our autonomic nervous system, rids our body of inflammation because it's the inflammation caused by stress generally, okay, that gets us sick. That's science now. And that's Wim Hof bought that to the scientific community. And, and, and we could talk hours on that. So that's the breathing portion. The cold portion does very similar things. Okay. Um, but here's how I use it among other, in context of the conversation we're having, when we talk about awareness, when we talk about emotions and now the importance of those things, when we talk about behavioral change, understanding how we act. When you're standing in front of a tub of ice water at 32 degrees, and you're about to get in, I could promise you one thing. You are going to have an emotion and you are going to act a certain way, okay? If your intention, another overword used, but that still doesn't mean it's not the right word. If your intention before you go into that ice bath is to be aware of your emotion and be aware of what you're doing before you get in, you are now becoming aware of really who you are as a human being in moments of stress. Mm -hmm. When you get into the ice bath, if you focus your attention on your breath, your one thing, okay, and not the noise around you, this is so cold, this sucks, this is stupid, when can I get out, why am I doing this, how much longer, you won't do well in the ice bath. Okay, you will succumb to the out to the uh, environmental aspects of your world. If, however, you get in and understand that the cold is just cold, right, and your body's reaction to it is just an environmental response that you're the one who's assigning the emotion to it, and then all of a sudden you get to say, "So what should I do?" Well, I should focus on my breath because, once again, the science tells us. When you focus on one thing, you end up moving into a parasympathetic state, a rest and digest state. You can relax because you're focused on one thing, not a million things, okay? When you're focused on a million things, you go into fight or flight, okay? And then you're not relaxed, just like you won't be in the ice bath. So you can get into an ice bath, get your breath in a matter of seconds, actually generate some heat for yourself and remain calm. That will be a window into your world about how you act in stress in a day-to-day -day life. How do you practice emotional awareness and recognition? How do you practice what I call cultural awareness and recognition? The things you do, you practice it by getting into the cold every day and being aware of how you're feeling and what you're doing. And then you're going to start to realize that's how you feel and what you do in your day-to-day. -day. And now that you have that awareness, for better or for worse, without judgment, right? I act like a coward before I get in. I procrastinate. I yell and scream when I'm actually in it. I'm so embarrassed. Don't judge it. It's just what it is. Mm -hmm. Now you can start making some real conscious decisions about your behavior. All right. And now, and that's once again, once you realize that the brain starts to rewire itself, you make a decision. When I get it, before I get into the ice bath, I procrastinate for like 30 minutes. It's unbelievable. Okay, now the next part of my process, behavioral guidelines. Now that you've done all this excruciating awareness, now make a decision. How do you want to behave based on what you've noticed about yourself? I will not procrastinate. 
And now that it is on the front of my mind, when I start procrastinating, I'll make a new decision. No, I go in with courage. Right now you are just, you are physiologically changing everything about yourself. Okay. To include your brain and how it's rewired and then your actions and how you act. And now the more you do it, the more you exercise that stuff by using cold exposure as a tool, now you're becoming a new person. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's one aspect of the Wim Hof method and how I use it in my leadership practice and, and really to help anybody with behavioral change. I'm now fortunate enough to just get people calling me and saying, can I do a private with five of my friends Mm. that I don't know what their agenda is, Mm -hmm. but it's probably personal development. Right. My message doesn't change with those people. And then more any more than it does with the CEO of a fortune 100 company. Cause it's all the same. Cause in the end, we're just people who struggle with our emotions and intentions and the understanding of how we get to change those things. Yeah, and underneath all this, we're the same. We are I mean, the same. We, we people have to remember that uh, it, regardless of where you came from, regardless of how much you make, regardless, like underneath all this, we're the same. Yep. And what's happening and what's firing in the body, as you've described, is the same. Um, I think it's really, it's a really great, you know, exploration because it reminds me part of my own, you know, meditation mindfulness journey that I've that I've been on for probably five or more years now. I remember the power of being able to distinguish and separate sensation from emotion, from intention. All separate conversations. All separate. All separate and I was just like, wait a minute. Like this is this is an, a possibility to be able to say, to sort of meet yourself and say, okay, that's a sensation, right? The cold water on my skin and the nerves, that's a sensation. The the emotion of fear and, 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 and sadness, I'm experiencing sadness and fear. That's an emotion. The intention that I'm going to breathe, you know, five seconds out, hold five seconds, five seconds. Like those were all three different things that frankly, prior to a lot of that meditation, mindfulness work seemed very commingled. Um, and I never was able to make sense of it at times because one overtook the other and led to, a different, a different outcome. Is that when, when you're, when you're working with people in the ice baths and I've seen some of the, the, the footage and, and, and videos, you do a little bit of, it seems like you do a little bit of coaching kind of with them on the side. You talk to them a little bit about what's coming up. Yep. What are some of the things that do come up when people are so vulnerable? I mean, you're right. You're like, you cannot help but be vulnerable in 32 degrees of water. Yep on the surface area of your skin and your body's doing exactly what it should be doing. And you still feel, I don't, what, what do people feel in that moment? So it's, you know, the, I'm almost at a loss for words because there's so much I want to say right now, right? Based on that question. (laughs) So I know the, the, um, yes, I coach people through it because it's the generally the first time they're doing it. So they need that extra help. So I, I am literally walking them through, but it starts with the awareness. Tell them, here's what's going to happen when you get in. You are going to, <gasps> right? Yeah. That is your body's natural reaction to, to protect you, to say you are in danger right now. You can't stay in this thing. It's good, right? But now we know getting in is also okay. So as long as we are aware that that first reaction is physiological, it's not, you're not weak. 
okay? There's not some extra danger attributed to you than the next person. It's just what your body does. So that awareness and, and me telling people, you're not weak because that happens. It's just what happens, okay? Once again, the fear that happens next to it. You assign that. The cold has no agenda. The ice has no, it has no the ice has nothing against you. Nothing against you. It has no, it's just what it is. It's a cold thing. So that necessary knowledge beforehand, and as you can imagine, put that to any other aspect of your life, thinking ahead, being aware, what can I expect for this? If I feel this way, what do I do? Right? Goes through the planning process, the next element. Um, but anyway, so knowing that, people generally feel pretty good about getting in. And then once they're in, they forget all that because it's not something that they've worked on. So all I simply do is when you see me coaching them, I'm reminding them that you, you're ready for this. You can expect this. Remember, breath, physiologically, what the breath does. We talked about doing that. That's your only focus. I'll even tell them, stop worrying about when you can get out. Show me your breath. Show me your breath. Right. So we're just refocusing their mind. Okay, that's all I'm doing. I tell them breath, 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 breath. I can tell them hockey puck, hockey puck, hockey puck, right? As long as you're focusing on one thing and that's it and not worried about the other things around you, you're going to be okay. So that's what we do. But I really want to touch on this commingling of ideas that you talked about. Mm-hmm. It, so... When we talk about, once again, emotions, and this is, I, I could stay on this, and I'm, I'm appreciative that we're talking about it, but when we talk about leadership in my process, I say very specifically, my process is related to identifying what you're feeling now and how you're going to act going forward. It has nothing to do with why you feel that way. Doesn't mean why you feel that way is not important. It doesn't mean that at some point you need to explore that because you probably should. But here's the problem with that. You may never find the answer. So we can't become wholly obsessed with the why, because we may not be able to ever understand why. What we can do is understand, I feel this thing now, and I go forward. So to your point, it's two separate conversations. Yeah, I feel this way because they said that to me. That's not what we're talking about. That's a separate conversation from how you need to act right now. The simplicity of that blows people away. Yeah. It blows them away. So with your example, right, what you just said, the meditation, right, the, the, the feeling, the intention, the action, three separate conversations. If we try to talk about all of them at once, we're going to get nowhere on that. Meditation. And since you brought up that, you know, that word, I want to make it clear to people because there's going to be people out there listening who I promise you say, I think meditation is bullshit. It doesn't really work because I've tried it. Here's what meditation is. By the Tibetan definition, it is an awareness of your mind. That's it. Awareness. So if you sit down and you say, I'm going to meditate for five minutes and my only, because now you have to have intention. My only focus is going to be on my breath. And when your mind moves away from your breath, to your to-do list or to how anxious you're feeling or which it will, which it will. If you bring it back to your breath, congratulations, you're meditating. Okay. Now, if you keep practicing this, 
all of a sudden you'll be able to take three breaths before your mind wanders and bring it back. And then the next time, 10 breaths. And then the next time, 20 breaths. And then you'll be able to bring it back as you're aware. And then guess what you're doing? Now you're now you are creating a muscle. You're creating a habit. So now when you are working, no, more forget about working. Now when you're having that conversation with your significant other, with your child, with your parent, with your friend, and you have conditioned yourself to be in the moment, focused on one thing, well, how amazing is that? Now, when I'm talking to you, Bill, you're like, Errol is, he's just locked into what I'm saying. I, I can't believe he is so locked into what I'm saying. And that makes you feel good, right? right. Because I am so focused on, I'm not focused on the other people in the room. I'm not focused on how I'm going to get out of this conversation, right? And then I've got to show some courage. If I want to get out of the conversation, you know, muscle up and say, hey, look, I, I got to get out of this conversation. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Okay. But the point is, that's how this manifests itself in all these ways. And it all begins with, right, your capital A, awareness. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think what's <clears throat> really important that leaders hear what you just described, the ability to be present in that moment, regardless of what's happening over here. I, I would you know, I would believe that that is such a gift. If, if a leader can do that for any group of people that they're leading, be it their children, their their family, a boardroom, that in itself is going to change the dynamic of relationships. Um, and that's where I, I, I believe this investment is important around capital A awareness, understanding the mind-body connection, knowing what your emotions you're carrying and knowing what's dictating you versus versus you deciding what sensations, emotions, and intention you have, what feelings, actions you can take. Um, and just, sit, yeah, just, just I, think about those conversations around the kitchen table that you mentioned. Let's bring it to that because they are no doubt getting crazier and crazier. Yeah. Um, I use the example of an ambush, right? Mm -hmm. You get ambushed, there's a lot of things happening. Okay, but you have to do this prioritization. You have to be aware. You have to be present first with how you're feeling. Oh, I'm scared to death right now because we got ambushed. Cool. But what do I need to do? I need to identify where the fire is coming from. I need to identify what my people are doing. Are they freezing? And if they are freezing, I need to focus on that. It's intention with thought based on an awareness of your emotion. Take that to the kitchen table. Everybody's yelling and screaming about something different, right? I hate Trump. I hate Biden. COVID is bullshit. COVID is killing everybody. It, mm -hmm. Name it. I don't even care what yeah. side you're on. on the, th those are the arguments that are happening, okay? If you are aware, I am furious that that person likes Joe Biden or that person likes Donald Trump. I'm furious, okay? Good. That's separate from how you're going to react to it. Separate. How do you want to react? Do you want to just react on it and be like, oh, you're so stupid, which is what most people are doing. Okay. Or do you want to say, well, I want to figure out how to get out of this conversation. Or I realize that that person is so angry because when you recognize your emotions, you're going to recognize it in other people's emotions. Right. I recognize that I'm angry. So if I'm angry, they're angry. And I don't think anything I say is going to matter. Right. You get to have that logical thought process yeah. and then you get to say, and it's not going to matter if their point right now is wrong and I have a good counterpoint. It's simply not because they're too angry. Mm -hmm. OK. 
you get to start making better decisions, right? You get to start bringing a calm to the situation if you want. You get to start redirecting the conversation, which is also super hard. Hey, I just don't think we're going to agree on this. Is there is there anything else we can talk about? There's only other things you could talk about, but we, <laughs> right? But there's a plethora of right. But we've can. become so focused on that anger. Well, if we talk about something else, I'm not going to feed that addiction towards the anger. So once again, now we're all. It all makes perfect sense. Yeah. It's all based around the awareness of what you're doing. You can diffuse. You can remove. Get yourself out of any situation. And remember what we didn't say. What we didn't say is. You're going to be able to change people's minds if you're calm. No, we never said that because this is not about them. They are an external influence, just Mm -hmm. like the ice is. Mm -hmm. You get to choose. Right. I think it's, uh, you know, it it kind of goes back to one of the things I thought about when we connected last time. It does feel like maybe as a world, as a nation, we're in this sort of break the glass in case of an emergency (laughs) moment. Um, Mm -hmm. But there is no textbook for that. I think... For people that are looking for that, like where's the textbook, where's the answer book? When people are asking that and they come to you, what do you say to them? I mean, how, how do we how do we resist that sense of, oh my gosh, I have to break the glass and pull the emergency? Mm-hmm. Uh, when in fact, at times, as you said, right, it, there are times it feels like an emergency. But there's also this ability for us as individuals to not pull the fire alarm every single time. That's right. So the process, the process, art and science, the process is the process. What are my four, five elements, whatever, emotional awareness and recognition, practice cultural awareness and recognition, identify guidelines for behavior, implement a planning process, understand the resistance. And the resistance is that scientific stuff. Like this is going to be really hard. So when I fail or want to quit, I'm neurochemically, whatever. That's the process. In my mind, that process never changes. It -hmm. doesn't matter if you're getting ambushed and it doesn't matter if you're walking out to your car ready to get into traffic or you're going to the dinner table after a crappy day and your mother-in-law is going to be there and she's going to talk about politics, right? The process is the same. I have to be aware of my emotions. I have to be aware of how I'm acting on them. Then I have to decide how I want to act on them. And now I need to make a plan about how I'm going to address that situation and understand it's going to be hard for me and hard for them. Boom. That doesn't change. So if you're changing your leadership in times of chaos, well, then you need to change your leadership because the process Mm -hmm. should always be the same. What's the art? The art is that Let's understand that emotional awareness is important, okay? That, let's understand that for everybody, and let's agree. But, Bill, the emotions that you're struggling with are going to be most different than the emotions that I'm struggling with. The ones you feel are going to be different than the ones I feel. How you act on them, your culture, your personal culture, will be different than mine. So we have to understand as an individual or a collective team how we're going to manage what we're recognizing that is specific to us inside the process. Okay. That's it. That's Mm -hmm. your path towards leadership. That's why it should never change planning, right? We may have to plan more on a dime these days because certain situations around us are changing. Like, okay, the market's good today. Well, all right, here's our plan for this thing. Market's down today. Oh, new plan, but we still have to plan. Mm 
before yeah. we act. That hasn't changed. So things may change on a dime. New emotions. March 12th, everybody was fat and happy, okay, yeah. and feeling good about life. March 14th, it was about to come to a close. New emotions, emotions we haven't seen, more intense emotions, but still emotional awareness and recognition. Mm -hmm. That's it. So that's why it doesn't change. And that's what I tell people. When I had clients, longstanding clients, when this started, they wanted to, mm -hmm. they're looking for the ripcord. Absolutely. Like, yeah. There's no ripcord. There's no ripcord. And, and I bought them through it. I said, the emotions are going to change. Be aware of them. Mm -hmm. How people are acting is going to change. Be aware of it. And then reaffirm your behavioral guidelines. And if there's new ones you need to put on the table, put them on the table. Okay. Yeah. And make a plan. Plan. 15 times a day if you need to, but you still need to plan. Nothing changes. That yeah. settled people down. Like, right. There's a process, right? I can get through all of this through these elements and the elements inside and how I act will change. But so that's what I tell them. Um, and your body will never lie to you. And your, that's the other thing we tell people. I'm like, the body will never lie to you. The brain will lie to you. The body will never lie to you. I've got to read the book because you're the third person in the last week who's brought that book up to me. Now I've got to read it. But it's exactly right. And what is that? When the body's talking to you, and there's there's evidence out there that says the gut's the real brain. Absolutely. You know? So oh, yeah. let's, whatever, let's just say it's kind of a second brain, but we're not even sure about that anymore. You feel something. Something doesn't feel right. We've all had it. All that is, is an emotion. That's it. Look at that as something doesn't feel right. What's my emotion? Uncertainty. Let me look, right? I'm uncertain. I get, is that an I don't know, but it's a feeling, right? Yeah. That's it. Start the process there. What am I feeling uncertain about? How am I acting on that? I'm acting all confused. Let me stop for a second. Let me make a plan. A yeah, that's it. Like, let me take a breath. Okay. Right. So yeah, that's it. The, the process doesn't change. And that's what yeah, I tell I people. I think it's, um, you know, the, the last question I usually ask people, but I think it's kind of, uh, it's kind of funny because you've been talking about it the whole time. I usually ask people, how do they stay healthy and change? I guess I would ask you, when's your next ice bath? Yeah, every day. So every day, every okay. day, every day, especially, especially these days. And I'm, I'm doing a little experiment with myself and, and I'm slowly writing about it, but it's, it's, I'm calling it 365 days at 36.5 degrees. Okay. Nice. And um, so I take an ice bath every day, but now I'm monitoring, I'm journaling what's happening, what's happening today, what time, what time of what day, comes up? what comes yeah. up, what time of day did I do this? And then how was my day after? How was my day before? Did I half-ass it when I went in, right? I, I, what were my intentions going in? So there's going to be an, and here's the first thing. It's hard. It never gets easy. The, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. The intention that you go about your day isn't easy. It's hard. It's easy not to have intention. Okay. So understand that folks. It is easy not to have intention. It is hard to have intention. It's hard to figure out what you want your intention to be. So I'm learning more and more about myself uh, through this little experiment because I, I want to share it, right? Just like Wim Hof wants to share and he's doing it. This is my own little leadership thing. Um, so yeah, how do I deal with the stress? I, and it's always changes. So I'll give you one quick example because I know we're running up against it. But now sometimes what I'm doing is saying, I'm going to wait on my ice bath until the end of the workday because I want my intention, my new intention and my new refocus to be transitioning from work to being a father and husband. 
I need to go into that transition with full energy and clarity and intention. And I'll start by doing my ice bath at 4 p.m. instead of 4 a.m. Okay. So it's always changing a little bit for me. And I'm listening to my body, right? At some point in the morning, sometimes I'm super motivated. I'm like, I, I don't need the ice bath right now. Let me take advantage of this thing because I'm going to need it some point in the day and I'll feel it. And the second I'm like this, ah, God damn, oh, time for the ice bath. Emotion, right? right? That it's all there. So yeah, that's yeah. that's what I do. Yep, that's that's great. I really uh, appreciate the the hour with you this morning. Um, there's a lot that was in here that I think is going to help a lot of people. Um, if people wanted to learn more about you, where can they go? Where can they tune into um, to to find out more about? Uh, your company, the work that you're doing, the coaching, all of that stuff. Yeah, all things Leader193. So my website is, uh, you know, leader193.com. I'm mostly on Instagram and Facebook, Leader193. A uh, little bit on Twitter, not so much, but you know, you pick your you pick your platform. And and mm -hmm. if and if I, you know, if you're interested in the book, um, it's on Amazon, or you can go to my website. And uh, everything I do with Wim Hof uh, method is on there. How related to uh, leadership and then the workshops I'm, I'm, uh, are upcoming are all on there. And if it's okay, I would like to say, I'm not sure when you're putting this out, but you know, in January, we're going to, we just did our first, uh, open leadership retreat. Okay. Cause I do them all the time for specific clients and now we're going to open it up. We call it the forum. It's the forum, uh, 0121, January 21. And what that is, is that is a combination. It's three days, it's a combination of learning my leadership process and applying it through the Wim Hof method. And so it's going to be pretty dynamic. So if you want to learn more about that, that's on the website as well, the forum. Awesome. Thank you, Earl. This was a great, a great discussion. It certainly, you know, picked me up. At, uh, <laughs> You're ready to go, right? <laughs> I'm ready to dive into an ice bath, man. <laughs> Let's rock and roll. Let's do it. Awesome. Thanks, Bill. Thank I, appreciate, so I appreciate you and everything you're doing. Thank you. Thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs>